0: Good evening, and welcome to the Drunken UX Podcast. I am your host, Michael. I'm your co-host, Aaron Hill. Welcome to the show, Aaron Hill. Hello. I'm glad you could join me this evening. No, it feels like feels like no time has passed since It really two weeks feels ago. like no time has passed. Actually, <laughs> the real question is uh how much drink have passed <laughs> um enough. I I, okay, so for those of you tuning into this episode, in case you missed episode five, don't go back listen to it. Yeah, it it's good. us having fun. Um, we've recorded episodes five and six back to back uh, with no stopping in the drinking. So
1: <laughs> we pre-gamed heavily for this one, we, apparently.
0: <laughs> technically, yeah. So episode five was pre-game for episode six. We don't really know it's going to happen yet because we do this once, and then I just edit it to make it sound like we know what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> So for all of you who were saying that we aren't drinking enough to live up to the name Drunken UX, well, here's <laughs> to you, motherfuckers. Eat it. <laughs> okay. Getting started this evening. Uh wait. No, we aren't started the, this evening. We need to we need to plug some, some stuff. Uh so Aaron, uh, tell people what you need oh, right. to, to yes. talk to us.
1: If you wanna tell us about how we should be drinking more or to tell us about why you think we're awesome or not so awesome, or you just wanna say hi. Uh, Check us out on Twitter.com and Facebook.com slash DrunkenUX. Or you can see us at DrunkenUX.com slash Slack. Connect with us on Slack if that's
0: your thing. And if you want to follow us, because we are glorious and genuine human beings, by all means, I am on Twitter at Phenon. Aaron, you're at Aaron M. Hill. Yes, I stupidly
1: used my whole name as my Twitter username.
0: That's A-A-Ron. A-A-Ron. I done messed up up and used his full name for his Twitter (laughs) handle, but check him out. He shares all the things I share a few things. Um, If you want to follow my beard, it's at Fenan's beard. I'm (laughs) going to forewarn you. If you're talking to it, you are talking to my beard. You are not talking to me. So I am not responsible for whatever answers you may get. Uh, I'm still drinking strong because yeah, we're just, we're, we're flowing here. So
1: I'm still drinking Grand Mayan Mezcal because it's the same evening as weeks ago.
0: <laughs> I have officially cycled through my whole sampler pack, though. Uh, nice. Well, more than once, but I've hit everything. So it's I, I've got one of the nice uh, boxes. It's got the artisanal blend, the gold uh, gold apple, orange blossom? No, cherry blossom, and orange rind. Julius? I don't know. It's orange something. Orange <laughs> Julius. They're all actually incredibly good. I'm quite impressed. Uh, I I don't mind them all. Uh, I think last time I said they have a a hint flavor of Patrick Stewart's sweat. (laughs) Tell you what, I'm all right with that. Uh, If I could, if I was able to do like an impersonation, you know, a lot of Mm. people, they have like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Christopher Walken. Man, if I could do Mm. a Patrick Stewart impersonation, (laughs) dude, my life would just be right where i want it to be but have
1: you have you heard the um uh data versus picard song by pogo there's that uh, i
0: can ones? honestly say that i have absolutely not heard that
1: i will i'll send it to you and let's put it in the show notes because why not why it's, not it's terrific
0: <laughs> you get a weird song and you get a weird song everybody gets a weird <laughs> all song got weird songs. all right Um, I do want to start this evening off talking about other weird things, uh, that I don't understand because I'm old and I don't understand technology. So let's talk about Snapchat. Um, I do have Snapchat. I, I have it. I think I'm fiending. I'm fiending on everything. There's an advantage to having a weird last name. So I, I think I'm just fiending on Snapchat. Um, I've had it for a while. I don't use it. I don't log into it. I don't know if there's anything waiting for me or not. I think at this point, um, We did mention this in uh, one of the recent episodes of uh, Real-Time Overview, so we'll rehash a little bit. Um, At the time when we brought this up, uh, Snapchat had released an update. Pretty much anybody who uses Snapchat knows about this now. Um, (laughs) And Apparently it was contentious, right? Uh, The only people that I know of that liked it were the stockholders. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what to make of that other than knowing that The update was very advertiser friendly Uh. because they are working on driving people towards their discover panel, which is heavily populated by their celebrities, by their brands. And this idea that if you follow somebody who doesn't follow you back, you know, and every platform has this, you can go follow somebody on Facebook, follow somebody on Twitter. You know, we all follow, uh, you know, Elon Musk on Twitter, but he doesn't follow us, um, Elon Musk, if you want to follow us, Drunken UX on Twitter, on Facebook, I, uh, if you want to follow me and, and talk to me, dude, I'm here. I'm I'm happy to chat.
1: Do you follow Bored Elon Musk?
0: Uh, I don't follow him, but I do read the, the tweets from time to time. It's <laughs> <That's> pretty great. <laughs> what they did, Snapchat took the people that you follow, but they don't follow you back, and now those folks are getting pushed to this Discover tab. Hmm. Um, so this has caused, I think, Three interesting reactions. Two of which are related to Kylie Jenner, a person that holds absolutely no interest to me in any capacity whatsoever.
1: She's <laughs> okay. I remember who she is.
0: Right. She's a Kardashian. Right. right. Or <laughs> I, I told you I'm starting this already into my strongbow. She's a Kardashian. <laughs> want to let that simmer for a second <laughs> sure <laughs> she is uh no let's go with it she's a cardassian uh <laughs> right i'm right about that aren't i isn't isn't yes she part of yes family she is part uh, of that family yeah she's famous for being famous she's uh, she's paris hilton she's a paris hilton person yeah. she has no reason to be famous otherwise right um people like her she does makeup all that great whatever i don't care i don't wear makeup except when i'm on stage um, And then I buy cheap stuff from Dollar General, and I look cheap. But, you know, I am cheap. Uh, <laughs> well, it gets weird quick, doesn't it? <laughs> We're digressing heavily. <laughs> We're
1: digressing. I'm sorry, folks.
0: This is going to be rough.
1: So she, something happened with her. So she left Snapchat or something?
0: Snapchat releases an update. Advertisers love it. Users hate it. Stock prices go up. Kylie Jenner hates it. Everybody apparently follows Kylie Jenner but me. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I don't follow her either. She says, "This is awful. I'm leaving Snapchat." And Snapchat stock drops 1.3 billion dollars.
1: So, okay. I I owned 20 shares of Snapchat last late last summer when it was around 14-15 bucks a share because they do cool stuff with facial recognition and i i liked a lot of the technology that they've innovated and i was like i they i was a naive like budding investor and i was like i want to buy shares of this company and i can afford to and um and the more i would read about them in the news it was always like well their their share price is stagnating because like investors don't see how it's going to make them money and So apparently they finally find a way to make investors money and then all the users hate it. And I think that, I think there's something to be learned here.
0: (laughs) There is something to be learned. I think there's something very important to be learned. And that something is that when these brands, whether it's Snapchat, whether it's Twitter, um, Mm -hmm. Facebook, oddly enough, maybe I don't think falls into this. And I think it's because of how some of these social media platforms have become lifestyle brands. Mm-hmm. Instagram, I think, does yep. definitely fall, fall into it. But you know, these folks are hitching their wagons really, really heavily to a lot of celebrities. Yeah. And if they piss off those celebrities, you know, mm-hmm. the celebrities – Kylie Jenner, I'm presuming – up to this point was not necessarily getting paid by Snapchat for anything, was getting compensated, wasn't a spokesperson. She right. was just a super popular celebrity, like many of them are. Right. And when she said, this is dumb, everybody went, oh, this is dumb. <laughs> and <laughs> the reaction was swift, and, and it came with a vengeance. It's weird that the stock price would fall, though.
1: Like, the users thought it was stupid, but the users aren't setting the stock price. That means the shareholders thought that i don't
0: know that like the shareholders lost the thing that they thought was important which was celebrity endorsement right because the value of celebrity when all of this stuff shifted when they moved all this content that wasn't celebrity based into this discover panel Mm -hmm. the advertisers loved it because it meant people have to go past our content to get to their content right awful mentality but i get it i do understand it from a marketing standpoint yeah. um you know okay here's what i don't get why did she come back i so uh, the word. news today <laughs> is all about her now returning now that she's had her baby and i guess that's an important thing i don't know i don't read the thing the tabloids and the things but now she's back so it was for what a a short period of time seems. it what what did they you know i don't know if they sat down with her and and signed her to a contract for something um uh there's a a fox news article on this uh we'll link uh despite what anybody may think about fox news it's just an article about social media give me a break (laughs) i don't get it i don't understand she leaves because she hates it she comes back because you know i think at the end of the day. She comes back because she, like any of us, and mm-hmm. you and and me are the same way. We're vain, right? We like <laughs> that interaction. We like that contact with All people. Right, yeah. When you're <laughs> a celebrity with millions of people interacting with you, that's gotta be addictive. I have no doubt. Yeah. Uh, Snapchat's response is I think the most interesting piece of this. After Snapchat released the update, they put out um or uh users put out a change.org petition that millions of what? people. Signed. What? What? That they were unhappy about it. They figured, you know what? Let's try to let Snapchat know that we don't like this. Wow. And Snapchat guys, um okay, I get it. You don't have to respond to these things, and I kind of think maybe you shouldn't have. Yeah. So, they put out a response to the petition and the response basically boils down to hey we hear you we're going to do some stuff later that we think will help you we're not going back on it and we think you'll like it once you've had time to adapt
1: <laughs> once you forget that you're upset about
0: it well yeah that's and yeah. yeah that is really the answer and i get it i know why snapchat is sticking to their guns and i think they are right to do it I think sometimes you have to take the Steve Jobs approach.
1: Remember when Twitter had stars instead of hearts? And when Twitter, either it was a Twitter or Facebook, the faces were squares instead of circles? And when Twitter was 140 characters instead of 280? Yeah. And all the, the rage? I'm still mad about Instagram not showing content chronologically. And actually, when they stopped doing chronological and started doing ranked thing, which came shortly after Facebook bought them out, um, my usage of Instagram dropped notably because I kept seeing the same shit over and over again, and that wasn't why I was using Instagram.
0: So part of Snapchat's answer to this problem falls along that line, and I think it's glorious. Mm. And not in a good way, mind you. <laughs> Their answer basically came down to part of the reason you aren't seeing things the way you would like to is because we are implementing a new algorithm that oh. will show you the stuff that's most important to you first, so you just need to use our system more, <laughs> so wow. that our algorithm gets tuned to what you want.
1: How about not?
0: It, it's it's one of those. It's it's too truthful, right? Yeah. I have no doubt that that is a hundred percent correct. That is exactly what they're doing. Yeah. But it's it's almost too truthful for your users to tell them. You you just aren't using us enough. You need guys. I'm telling you.
1: That seems like it's. That seems like they didn't, they didn't handle that correctly beforehand. They're being lazy about it. They should have dealt with that beforehand. Like,
0: you know, one of the, the big lessons. This is true in web development. It's true in application development. Doesn't matter. Is redesigns are painful. Mm-hmm. People hate redesigns because it means things are different. Yeah. And even if different is better, it doesn't matter. Because people are turned off by different because it means they have to change muscle memory. They have Mm -hmm. to change the way they're used to doing things.
1: Different means you have to relearn things.
0: You have to relearn stuff, correct. The right way, whether you're designing an application or a website or anything else, what you do is you incrementally change over time so that a year Mm -hmm. from now you are not what you were. Mm -hmm. But the frog metaphor, yeah? Yeah, right. Drop a, a frog into boiling water, it jumps out and stabs you in the foot. Uh, put a frog in cold water and bring it up to a heat, and you get delicious soup. Is, uh, that, is that actually I true? May, I I know the metaphor. I think I got that metaphor quite right,
1: but I I I like frogs enough that I don't want to test that. But,
0: <laughs> but that's the idea, though, and and Snapchat violated that. They said, you know what? We're just going to change a bunch of stuff and expect users to just be okay with that, with yeah. literally. Every scrap of user ex- user X ex- user experience research that you can find is going to tell you that that's a bad way to change things. Yeah.
1: My my um Twitter. You remember when Twitter started doing the promoted tweets? What last year sometime, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah. So I actually have this in my Twitter bio. Um, I mute brands that promote tweets. I don't block them because I don't want them to know that they that I can't see them. I just mute them, and every time for the
0: period that you think their ad will run
1: no i'm muting the brand full stop and i i do not care who you are if i don't follow you already and you're promoting a tweet i will straight up just mute you and that's it and it's cut it's gotten to be kind of fun to see what like every once in a while i get like a big brand like the other day i got um who was it uh not heinz it was some big food company like maybe like mcdonald's or something but I, they came up, and I was like, oh, I got to mute McDonald's.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you tell us. What do you think about the Snapchat redesign? Are you a Snapchat user? Let us know. Do you like yeah. it? Do you understand the change they made, but you don't like it? What's what's your feeling as a listener I would like to know that on too. the Snapchat redesign? Yeah. yeah I, I'm curious because, like I say, I use it, but I don't use it enough to care But I know it's a big deal, and I understand why it's a big deal. So I think I I would love to hear what some of the listeners think in that regard. It's also a a very cheap attempt to, hey, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, (laughs) you know, the things, because that's what you do. Um, But, hey, we aren't putting it in your face otherwise, so you're listening to our show voluntarily. (laughs) I'm going to take that as being okay with us promoting ourselves. (laughs) The real topic for this evening, though, is a much better one. It's this is part two of, can you take me higher? Can you take me higher ed? Uh, I, no, I, I love, I love creed without Scott strap, which is to say, I love Alter bridge. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about higher ed websites. We, we started this conversation last week and, um, last week we talked about the XKCD last week, last episode, we talked about the XKCD comic that has plagued higher ed, and this challenge that higher ed websites have with trying to meet the needs of you know, a million different audiences, really four, but yeah. that's almost a million, uh, <laughs> it's, 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 and how from just a web development standpoint, that's a huge challenge, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: we want to balance that now. So this week, we're going to talk about a few you know, sort of specific issues. And I want to start that by going over what the comic strip tackled, which was the home page. Right. Yes,
1: it, you know, in hindsight, the putting the technical discussion probably would have made sense to do that in the first part of the evening when we've drank less, and then put the ranting section in the second part of the evening where we've drank more.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, too fucking bad because we would have ranted for two hours, and I don't want the episode <laughs> to be that long, so. <laughs> people are going to get, to get. <laughs> back in what was it i don't know uh 2011 i'd have to go back to my slide share um home page centerpieces have been a focus for me for years and years um <laughs> i i cared about it when we were doing it at pitt state um i've cared about it afterwards i care about it at my current job um I got into a little bit of a heated, shall we say, discussion at one point um a few years back when um it was suggested that we should have a, a carousel on our homepage and I said no. <laughs> um How about not? I have I have a habit of I'm I'm I can be abrasive when I know I'm right. <laughs> That's being very charitable to yourself. <laughs> I I lose a little bit of my tact and uh, desire to be diplomatic. And so carousels, I just want to be very clear. I want to burn carousels to the ground with fire. Okay. Uh, there's, There are no two ways about it. Um, rotating carousels, or, carous- or any kind of carousel, it doesn't have to be auto-rotating, um, th- these are awful, awful creations that were born of Satan and handed off to web developers. Yeah. Okay. They are easy to implement. They, they are, um, they're, what is it? Not the diet Coke of web design, but they are the, here we go. They're the sugar-free Haribo gummy bears. Oh, of web design. Why? That, um, that exists? Yeah. Yeah. Oh no. Why? If you don't know the, uh, why I'm making the analogy to the sugar-free Haribo gummy bears, um, Go look up a fellow by the name of L.A. Beast on okay. YouTube and just type in that phrase, L.A. Beast Haribo Sugar-Free Gummy Bears. Okay. I'm not going to say any more than that <laughs> uh, because I'm a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I'll check that out later. I, why? Reason being, carousels yeah. provide no value, right. and we know they provide no value. There is plenty of research out there on this we'll link some of it in the show notes um notre dame uh was one of the big universities to finally do an actual study on this with their website and what it was they found is something that i should have in front of me right now and i'm gonna keep talking (laughs) for a second while i click through to a couple things so that i can get the notre dame research up in front of me uh Um, If you're narrating that you're doing that, you're defeating the purpose of doing it. I know. And now my browser (laughs) is doing weird things and asking me for permission to do stuff. Notre Dame, uh, carousel, carousel research. So what they found basically boiled down to this. Nobody clicks – Eric Runyon, that's right. Um, Eric Runyon, because I remember him presenting about this. I think it was at High Ed Web. Uh, They went through – and now I have the numbers in front of me so I can talk like I sound like I know what I'm doing. (laughs) They measured, holy crap, they measured 3.8 million homepage visits. Wow. Their carousel had a 1.07% click-through rate. (laughs) (laughs) And of that 1.07%, 89.1% clicked the first position only. Wow. So, cumulatively... They had a five, let's see, it looks like a five-position centerpiece. Mm-hmm. Positions two, three, four, and five together got what amounts to a tenth of 1% of total traffic clicked on it. Wow. So it, like it's like 10% page of 1%. Google,
1: second page of Google search results.
0: Right. Yeah. Nobody clicked on it because well, you're not there to look at the centerpiece. We right. mentioned uh, Dylan Wilbanks's article about how people are coming to the university websites to answer questions. They have a reason to be there. They aren't yeah. there for fun. They aren't there right. to be like, gee, I wonder what's in position four of the centerpiece today. That's yeah. nobody's user story.
1: Well, and the other thing too is how, I mean, just anecdotally, when you look at how you've used websites, how often do you click through on a carousel right. to see what other options there are? How,
0: not only how quick or do you click through but how quickly do you scroll past
1: it mm-hmm. yeah
0: you know universities have this problem of not just carousels even if they're using like the the takeovers uh mm-hmm. we mentioned in the last episode at the very end we talked briefly about um Ozark Technical Community College mm-hmm. their homepage the main section of it is a is a takeover it scales to the full size of your browser window mm mm-hmm. mhm there's content below that though. Now mm-hmm. in their case, in their defense, I think that's the right approach.
1: Yeah, I know yeah, it's great.
0: Because they very much want you to use the head the 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 centerpiece, the headmast, whatever you want to call it. Um and for good reason. And if you want to know what that reason is, I'm gonna tell you to go back and listen to the last episode because <laughs> I'm a greedy bastard. Um <laughs> But for other universities that are doing this, Brown is, I think Brown is one of them. Um,
1: They're still doing a carousel?
0: No, no. I, they switched and did the whole takeover, I think. Oh, no, they okay. didn't. Okay. They've changed since then. God, I wish these sites changed a little slower. <laughs> uh, <laughs> makes this a lot harder. There are universities that do this. Mm. I just have had enough now to drink that I don't care to look them up. <laughs> Is the is the most important thing on your homepage really that masthead? Is it really that carousel?
1: I I think this gets back to the point we talked about with the uh, the homepage politics, where the institution thinks that certain things are important that they want to show off, versus considering what the users actually want to see. Yeah, and this is like we want to have we want to show off these we wanted to depict this value or this um. Appearance that we have, that we look a certain way.
0: Can I give you a metaphor? I like metaphors. I like, I especially like really weird metaphors.
1: How about a metaphot?
0: Um, I, I, well, it'll be actually about 30 or 40, depending on how many are in the box. But, um, you ever watch Naked and Afraid?
1: The show or the way that I watch
0: television? (laughs) <laughs> yes. So, Naked and Afraid, whether it's the show or, you know, any survival show, right? Yeah. You're fighting for food. Uh uh what is it? Alone. They they kind of have yeah. this, you know, you you set up your camp, you're trying to get food, whatever.
1: You get like one item, it, right? If you
0: suck at this show. If you're no mm-hmm. good at at surviving on your own, you get hungry, right? Yeah. And people on Naked and Afraid, they're constantly complaining about, you know, all the weight they've lost and how they just want to catch a a, a cricket to eat or whatever the case may be. This would be like a homepage carousel. I'm going to bring this home, I swear. A homepage (laughs) carousel is like walking up to those people with a box full of those uh, cornstarch styrofoam peanuts. (laughs) That they are technically edible. Yes. They, they won't they are. hurt you.
1: I have eaten, I've eaten many to demonstrate that.
0: I have too. Why do you think that all I can do is this podcast? Because I've burnt my brain eating styrofoam peanuts. <laughs> they are – if you are hungry, if you are starving, they will put something in your stomach. But they are completely empty calories. And <laughs> that is how I bring this whole conversation home about homepage carousels.
1: Fair enough. That it that is, that works.
0: They are a dumping ground for universities to be able to say your news is on the website or your department is featured on the website. Yeah, it's on the fourth position of the carousel. But hey, you're there because nobody <laughs> well, and then goes on to say, does anybody click on it?
1: It's they're massive too. They're usually uh, they're well huge. Several years ago, they were eight to nine hundred pixels wide. I think probably now it's at least a thousand pixels wide minimum. And you know, you're looking at uh the eight hundred no five hundred pixels tall, ten by five. Um that's a lot of real estate that you're giving up to an image that isn't gonna get any engagement or a quick call a call to action on it. Yeah. And, Conversions.
0: And everybody's written about this. Mm-hmm. The Visual Website Optimizer has an article, link in the show notes, that looks at heat mapping on websites. People completely like their eyes don't even hit carousels
1: yeah it's like ad blindness
0: it is yeah and that that's the exact thing they they process a centerpiece the same way they process an ad yeah because it is a centerpiece is an ad um they it is a call to action trying to get you to buy into whatever they are putting there so it's meaningless it's empty calories to most users in that case so the
1: Go, going back to the previous episode, um, if you are at an organization, whether it's higher ed or elsewhere, and you have a carousel on your website, and you have access to all this data, it's a, it, there's there's a real like kind of come-to-Jesus moment about there where you have to have a discussion with certain people in your organization to say, why are we doing this? Data Absolutely. doesn't support this. This is pointless. Why is this happening? And I think that it will reveal more about the process through which your website is built and managed uh, than perhaps you're prepared to deal with.
0: (laughs) And let's be clear, you can eliminate a lot of overhead when you get rid of all of that and just have, even if it's a static centerpiece, if you're going to say we still have a centerpiece but it's fixed now, it lets you get rid of a lot of overhead. Mm. Uh, Nielsen Norman Group, everybody Mm. knows them. Everybody's read their research over and over. As always, they have research on this topic and it shows that when you have a carousel that rotates, or you have another one, and I I talk about this uh, in one of my talks, and I think there's a video of it. And if I can find it before the show airs, I will link the the uh, video or audio, whichever I can find on it. Um, I talk about the same thing that it's not just carousels, but we're talking about accordions.
1: Mm-hmm. We're talking oh, about yeah.
0: you know clickable centerpieces that rotate. Any of them have the same; they they all fundamentally fork the exact same problem, which is that you're asking people to interact with something that they are not there to interact with, and so you are wasting space, you are wasting overhead, you are wasting time by putting. I don't anything even know Are
1: people it. asking them to interact with it
0: though? I don't even know that that question is being brought up. I don't know that people are thinking if. If you make it clickable, yes, you are asking somebody to interact with it. If you put a read me button on it,
1: yeah, okay, all right. If you put a call to action on it, you are, it, yes, okay, I agree with that. Now,
0: you. now here's a question: Is do you feel like if you have a masthead, not a not a mm. carousel, but if you're one of the sites that has, um, I think was it MIT was doing this for a long time, mm. where. I mean, it just was a full-screen takeover with, like, a menu that popped out from the left side. Yeah. Um. To me, that falls in the same group because of how much space you're wasting just to show a picture. I, I, I'm i going
1: to chime in in the defense of the aesthetics and say that, I, that that approach is okay with me because you have a functional menu that's something you actually do want to look at. And having large pictures is aesthetically pleasing. And I I think that that's okay. And you, if you remember, um, probably 15 years ago, uh, most websites typically had, when we were doing table-based layouts, so it was like right before CSS right. became a thing, um, a lot of websites would have at the top, you'd have kind of a large, you'd have the masthead would be a division of like a large picture and then kind of a menu to the right of it sometimes. Or maybe like right above it um, or below it, whatever. Uh, and that was sort of, I think that may have been what eventually morphed into this, uh, well, large banner masthead, and then morphed into, oh, wait, we can do more than
0: one masthead image. Yeah. <laughs> Put them on a slider. <laughs> I, can, I can genuinely rant about this for hours. I want to, though, yeah. quote the uh, Pesh Mandalia. Mm hmm. He has uh, a quote in an article we'll have linked that says, One focused banner message will drive higher CTRs, that's click-through rates, than a few unfocused banners. Serving 100% of your visitors is near on impossible without knowing something about them. Yet there seems to be a self-persuasion with content managers that more choice is good. (laughs) That it equals more clicks and more sales. It doesn't work that way. He's talking about e-commerce. but right that that principle is still applicable here that and i think that is also it is very much a part of it is how do we present all this stuff we generate yeah. and we don't stop to think about is the stuff worth getting yeah, clicks yeah. on and if it is then let's address that but let's not well, throw it all into a blender and hope for the best if you have a carousel on
1: your homepage, how when's the last time you changed the sliders like when's it like if you want people to interact with it and you don't want it to get um kind of ignored and shortcutted as just ad copy when's the last time you changed it when's the last time you put new content in there um do users have any way of knowing that any of the slides are new or are you going to yeah. force them to click through it
0: we did a we worked pretty hard at Pitt state to a we didn't use a carousel mm-hmm. um it was random on page load occasionally. yeah i've done that before Um, But it wasn't a carousel. It was a pretty large masthead. But we did spend a lot of time, you know, and I think a lot of universities do at least try to curate. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: I think they do a better job now than they used to do. I think they do a much better job than they used to do. But I do still think there is, and we'll get into this uh, after the break, but news and PR tends to factor heavily into what happens in that masthead area. And that's mm-hmm. where I think the value is being thrown away. Even at universities right. that are getting better about not using the rotating stuff or you know, whatever can end up there, they're still throwing away some value on the tail end. Mm-hmm. I would direct folks as sort of the, the, the capstone to the centerpiece uh topic here, go to should I use a carousel dot com.
1: <laughs> I was expecting it when I went there. I was expecting it to just have a giant like 128 pixel font saying no, but it it's actually it doesn't, it doesn't. It's pretty good. Go check it, it out. It
0: doesn't. Um. Uh, so yeah, that's what I'll should I should I use
1: with. a carousel? That's C A R O U S E
0: L. And um. while I want to leave the the carousel and centerpiece topic behind, there is another big. uh Actually, there's a, a few more here, but one of the the big homepage pieces that's true for universities. I did a study on this when I still wrote for a website called .edu guru. We we talked Mm. about web marketing, web technology, and higher ed. One of the studies we did towards the end of the site was to look at load times. And this is one of those areas that I look heavily on. And why carousels factor into this is because carousels always bring with them usually a lot of JavaScript. Because you're going to go get a jQuery library and plug it in rather than write something yourself that's bare bones. So it's going to be bigger than anything that you would write yourself. Not just that. You've got tons of JavaScript, whether it's carousel JavaScript, menu JavaScript, tracking JavaScript, remarketing Mm -hmm. JavaScript, um, JavaScript for, uh, hell, I don't know, schema data, if you're going that far, whatever the case may be. Tons of JavaScript. Then Mm -hmm. you have images. Yep. By far and long the bulk of the data some schools are starting to go with background videos right yeah um, they're using actually
1: if done well i like that oh no i yeah. l-
0: i like it but yeah. like it or not videos create a huge amount of yeah. overhead from a data standpoint and again this this comes back to stuff like mobile users right big beautiful images are great but big beautiful images are huge and the inevitable and I still, I still struggle with this today, and we're using a build process with SAS and all all the bells and whistles, but mm-hmm. CSS on CSS on CSS on CSS, with yeah. selectors that run four levels deeper than they need to, with CSS <laughs> selectors that are redeclared because we don't know. It's a mess. When we did this research with Guru, we were looking at pages that were routinely over 10 megs. Yeah. That's too big, guys. It's so too big. And when we get talking about things like search engine optimization, page speed matters. And there's, I, I, there's not a lot of SEO value on homepages, my, I guess. But
1: I, I think the game Doom was only four floppy disks. It was under 10 megs. And so if your homepage is 10 megs, oh, it's man. literally bigger than the game Doom.
0: <laughs> I have not heard that before as a metaphor for that, but I love it. <laughs> that is such a good
1: comparison. <laughs> I, In defense, well, I'm not going to defend carousels because I think they're shit, but I will say that most of those reasons about load times nowadays, we have strategies to deal with that. You can minify your JavaScript and compress it. And I mean, you can concatenate it all together and then minify it to make it minimal in size. And then you see them look at their CSS and it, with images, you know, we have responsive design with like different, um, I'm flaking on the word right now, when you have the different resolutions, source sets, source yeah, sets. Yeah, yeah. I'm there. So, I got it.
0: Source <laughs> sets are if, if like if you're a foundation user, you've got data interchange with, yeah. the, with that uh, module. Uh,
1: we we have big load times now, but I think that the difference is that now, especially if you're serving the end of doing responsive design, th- there's a functional used to that like you're you're making your site cross-platform and um you know serving multiple dimensional uh sizes on browsers which is far better than appeasing whatever hippo wants giant picture that rotates on the home page
0: and all of this starts to obfuscate the obvious which is the content on the home page it's like mm-hmm. playing a game of hide and seek
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, isn't it? Uh, Steve Krug called that mystery meat navigation.
0: Whether you're talking about, I mean, I I did a, a, a talk on this at one point that university websites have like a three-tier navigation system that no other site has. It doesn't make any sense because they have like a primary audience navigation. They usually have a secondary navigation like buried up in the header, which includes things like contact info and A to Z index, which is its own thing. And then they usually have, like, a, another sort of co-primary navigation that deals with the hierarchy of the university. Right. I hate it. But not I, not just from a navigation standpoint, but the content on the homepage.
1: I need to make a correction there. I said that was Steve Krug with Mystery Meet Navigation. It was Vincent Flanders from Webpages That Suck. So, I forgive correction.
0: you. Thank you. It's okay. <laughs> Here's the thing. When you look at these university websites, there's no consistency. It's not like you do Navigation, then a Centerpiece, then News, then Calendar, then Mm -hmm. Programs. Like, There's no consistency to any of that. So if I am, especially as a prospective student, and again, I don't give a shit what anybody else says. Prospective students are the audience. Because without them, you don't have any other audience that matters, whether it's alumni, current students, faculty.
1: They are the Pam.
0: They are your Pam. Uh, yeah. If you don't know what that means, go back check out episode four. Um, yeah. We discuss what that means. Kissing um, Pam. <laughs> but with prospective students, um, they don't know what to expect when they scroll that homepage, and if you've got a blend of content with a calendar in one spot, you know the news in another. Not only a do they care about it. But if they are looking for one particular piece of that navigation, whether it's hunting for the prospective students link, an admissions link, a programs link, um, an athletics link, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of students come in via that method. Um, that idea that these homepages are packed with all of this fluff, all of this sawdust, that's that's what it is. It is sawdust of content. content. <laughs> um We've got to narrow that down and make it easier to look at this and get it. Um, I'm trying so hard. I've looked at uh, some of the university websites of late, and I, I just I don't want to call people out because I know so many of the folks working, and I know they're yeah. working hard to change that yeah. mentality. And that's the thing. is, It's one thing to call, some, call a site out that's just bad. It's another thing to call people out that are bad, but I know that they have people that care. But, man... There's got to be a solution to this process of, you know, we've, we've thrown everything we have in a blender and here you go. <laughs> it's chaos. Yes. It's really just chaos.
1: It's too many cooks. <laughs> it's,
0: is that even a, be, a a good enough metaphor? Is it big enough because it, it's, it's too many cooks, but it's like too many cooks with too many menus. And I don't mean that from the navigation sense. Like, I mean that from the. All of these cooks have different orders that they want to service and different roles to play. Yeah. But they all view that homepage as the point. Right. And, you know, every. Whether it's myself, Aaron, I think you'll agree. um, Mark Greenfield uh, absolutely would agree. You know, a lot of this comes back to governance, a lot of it comes back to personality. Mm -hmm. And making sure the right people have ownership and say and that that is absolute but man it needs a cultural shift yeah
1: and this is this is also that thing we discussed in the previous episode about how the user centered design issue has there's been progress but it's not being prioritized enough yeah um and and we we can do better with that and the, the needs of the user should most of the time trump whatever uh, whatever loud voices there are demanding things. And know what those website. are.
0: Know what know what yeah. funnels you're trying to set up. Know mm-hmm. what the goals of the homepage are. This is a question I love asking this of, of higher ed folks. What is the mm-hmm. goal of your homepage?
1: If you are in a if if you're in a leadership position, You should be a strong enough leader that you can say to your web professionals, I trust you guys drive the traffic here and get get, increase our enrollment and let them make the decisions. And uh,
0: after (laughs) the break, we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about news and PR components of higher ed websites, as well as how higher ed has to work with a lot of different application integration to make their stuff happen. So nice. stay tuned. We're going to come back. I'm going to get myself one more strong bow for the evening. <laughs> Talk for another 27 minutes, which is going to be way too long, but I'll cut it down in editing. So forgive me. Yeah, yeah. It'll be okay. <laughs> The Drunken UX podcast is made possible by our friends at Gasmark 8. Gasmark 8 is a web hosting firm with data centers in New York, San Francisco, London, and Frankfurt. Customers of Gasmark 8 enjoy free SSL certificates, sites that are served over HTTP2, and the experience of owners who designed a service around the needs of their customers. Listeners of the Drunken UX podcast can enjoy service for $10 a month. Just sign up at gasmark8.com/drunk. That's gasmark slash drunk. That's number slash drunk. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. To episode six of the Drunken UX Podcast. I am one of your two hosts, Michael Feenan. I'm Aaron Hill. I'm the other one. I appreciate your presence. Likewise. So to wrap up our two-part episode on higher ed, we want to talk a little bit more about the tools that higher ed uses. One of those tools happens to be news and PR, Um, Mm -hmm. I spent about four ish of my six years at Pitt state working from an office that was marketing focused, which Mm -hmm. is to say that I was in the same team as the folks who did PR, who did, you know, the articles that go on the website, who did the magazine, who Mm -hmm. ran the billboards down the highway. Um, news and PR is incredibly important. Um, And I'm not going to argue that it's not. I think where we need to start looking at with news and PR is focusing on how we use it in a way that makes sense for both the website and the users. Sure. Right now it's used by and large as a bucket of, you know, content that just includes everything. And universities are especially a large university is incredibly good at generating a lot of volume. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's long and short of it. If you are a D one school in a major city, you just produce a ton of stuff. You have a lot of research going on, a lot of events going on, a lot of production.
1: It's really more of a curation issue than it is generation.
0: Yeah. I, I think a big part of it is knowing what is valuable to who. Yeah. Um, you know, make if that feed is on your homepage uncurated, you're screwing up. <laughs> and schools do better about that now than they used to because mm-hmm. again, I think, you know, in the time since I left Pitt State, I think a lot has changed in that landscape and I think a lot of universities are yeah. getting much better about this process. Yeah. That doesn't mean they're good. <laughs> um Part of this comes, I think, from this idea that the the news and PR group in general serves sort of a very old-school mentality, and they're trying to mesh that with the new age. Uh, what, what do you mean old-school mentality? Prior to the web, and we don't have to go back very far. Like, I'm talking 2000. You know, people... I, I think people lose sight. You know, it's it, yeah, it's 2018, but the web in just the last decade, decade and a half, has changed significantly from a usage mm-hmm. standpoint and what people go to it for. And the way news and PR was approached prior to you know 2004, 2002, when you get back into those really early years of the millennium and the last years of the 90s, news and PR's purpose was largely to. Feed information to the local newspapers, to your local radio stations, to the television, you know, NBC affiliates and CBS affiliates Mm -hmm. and all these folks and help get the world, the world out, the word out about what was going on on campus. And a lot of the folks who do that weren't web savvy then. And for a lot of universities, those same people are still in a lot of those positions from decades ago. Because those are sort of long-haul type of positions. Right. But the content didn't grow and evolve in the same way. They're still putting out the same content, but they're just putting it on the website now. Yeah. You know, the idea of sending out a press release is not the same as sending out a news article, so to speak. You know, when you want the news to know about something, that's a very specific process as opposed to we want to write an article promoting, you know, or maybe a good example is the difference between putting out those press releases and putting out the alumni magazines. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, alumni magazines are limited in space. They have to make sure every page of that magazine is selling, selling, selling a story. <laughs> But you don't have that cost, so to speak, associated with the website. So you mm-hmm. can afford to just say we're just gonna keep putting out our press releases with no value. Students mm. don't consume that.
1: No, no, the And we discussed this either this episode or last episode. With, There's um, no
0: way to know. I don't remember. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I, I was I remember saying earlier that uh the it makes sense for the new like I I think that the news content does belong on the website as the canonical source, but doesn't belong on the homepage.
0: Yeah, it's a it curation problem. Yeah. Long and short, that's all it is. Yeah. Because you know when you, if you're just blasting out all this information because it's being made like it's a fire hose connected to an RSS feed, mm-hmm. let me tell you something. And I hate to burst your bubble but the local newspaper is not going to be the one enrolling at your university. Right. You know, WKRPS is not your next big student. And so I get that you want their attention and you want them to promote what's going on, but you need to find a more effective way of doing it than just feeding some of that content to your front page. Like it's major news and it isn't.
1: I, I think that there's, and I, I'm going off the cuff here. I don't have any research to back me up or anything. This is just my opinion as someone who worked in higher ed for over a decade. I think there's push content and there's pull content. Push content is stuff the university wants to get out there, wants to say, or has to say, you know, like the honor roll. Uh, who who got honor roll this year? I, the news, <laughs> The local news stations don't care. But the university wants to tell because that's like the parents can check it out or whatever. Well, and then pull pull content would be the content where people want to know what's going on. Like maybe there was a uh, a big kerfluffle at your university. Um, I, scandals happen all the time, and if your university is unfortunate to have one, then uh, people will want to know that, and they will go to your website to look for it. and And so this is. <laughs> those In the, the pull content situations, you would want to have a place to prominently feature those. And the push content ones, it's more of just having a place where they sit and, uh you know, you hope people come to them.
0: I'm a big fan of having kerfluffles every time I go camping and <laughs> I, I make them with my s'mores. <laughs> no, you're right. And I think a really perfect example of that, and I'm going to use a... Uh, a really specific example is let's say because most universities, big, small, you have some research component and let's say it turns out that you have a research department that owns four patents in a very new type of, I don't know, aluminum alloy mm-hmm. and it's a big deal because SpaceX has adopted that aluminum alloy Sure The fact <clears throat> that SpaceX is using your technology, that's cool, that's interesting, it's it's something everybody would want. Yeah. But the story of you own four patents on a special kind of alloy. I get that you may want the local news to carry that, but it isn't important to a prospective student. It isn't important to anybody else visiting your website absent the other context. Cause you probably own those patents for, you know, eight years, let's say. And on year eight, realizing hey we own do you know we own all these patents no i didn't realize let's do a story about it the the context matters yeah and
1: i think even if um i, I think if you have something like that like if you have these four patents for this aluminum alloy or whatever that spacex happens to use and maybe there's a partnership in there maybe not but there's there's some like real world relevant things where people can recognize those words if you have if you're just putting that information out there and you're not contextualizing it that's that's a fail
0: yeah and because that happens a lot again universities are a fire hose it's easy to miss stuff and so a pr department will pick up on wow they just registered their fourth patent that's a huge thing because those patents are bringing in money or whatever the case may be and so it makes sense that that might be an a story that could be interesting on the evening news as a, mm-hmm. you know, two minute segment. Sure. In the same way that we talked about
1: user centered design or either the websites or the homepage, I think that user centered content also makes sense. Yeah.
0: Because is that content, which might be appropriate for the evening news. Are those really the same audience uh, members as the folks who are visiting right. your website? <laughs> nah, I'm going to go no, with no yeah. those are the ones the people visiting your website are the ones who want to know that you're using that you know with SpaceX right that's cool that's right. flashy that's that's marketing
1: this is a tangential point but I think it's salient here um, I, I have had the not the hunch just the general sentiment at times that uh, sometimes people in higher ed think that users want to come and just hang out on the website because the content is important or like self important. And I, I got to tell you, like, users, if it were up to them, they would never come to your website. The only reason they're on your website is because you are the gatekeeper for some piece of information that they need. And everything. Anything that you're doing that is not serving that goal of helping them get that information so they can get out and get back to what they actually want to be doing, anything you're not doing that's serving that goal is, like, wasting their time.
0: That's what Dylan uh, Wilbanks was talking about in his article, yeah. that your website is an answer to a question they have. They're coming to you to get an answer, and if you aren't giving it to them, then you aren't meeting their needs.
1: Yeah. They don't want to be on your website.
0: Yeah. News, one of the big things uh, that uh, Kyle James and I have given a talk on this, he's given uh, mm-hmm. the talk himself in several places. When we get into like analytics, as far as like news and PR goes, uh, news, mm-hmm. especially for universities, is at a very broad spectrum approach a huge missed opportunity because of this old school thinking and this idea that mm-hmm. they're just putting out, putting out, putting out, putting out. Um, as far as the content goes that news and PR that you are writing and putting on your website should be driving leads and a lead in the context of higher ed is a prospective student application. Okay. Or an alumni donor. Um, that's sure that that's equivalent or an athletics donor, any of those things. Like there are different types of leads, but they should all be driving a funnel. And so few of them do, and that's where I get really frustrated when I see all this. Is hmm. it's one thing to say we're going to put out a ton of content, and it's great content. It's another thing to say we're going to put out great content that has purpose. Hmm. A lot of what PR talks about is important. If you want to go back to this uh, uh, patent metaphor of you know we our our aluminum research engineering department has four patents on this that's cool for them in that department so mm-hmm. make sure if you put that story out that that story links to the department that has a button to get more information on it that has statistics on how that helps the world whatever the case may be it's extra work it takes time it takes effort but we're throwing away value when we don't make sure that these articles are linking back to the departments and the professors and all of this that are, you know, cited the work they're doing because for the people who are reading those articles, they do care about that. Yeah. If they're going to take that time, then give them a way to convert into something. If the theater program does a fantastic show and you do an article on it, Make sure that people who are impressed by it and love the show have a way to make a donation, so the next one can be great too. Yeah. I I think
1: um, when I was at Indiana University, um, we I worked with the uh, one of the marketing people. Um, she did like the a lot of the press release stuff, and we we did these we did kind of this um, like human interest story. Initiative where we we would identify different people on campus that had um, interesting stories that really just didn't have a platform for them. Like for example, um, we had a professor. He was actually one of my he was my calculus professor, and he had published some rather significant research involving eigenvalues. I I really don't remember. It was math far beyond anything I've ever learned, <laughs> but it was, it was very important to a very small number of people, but like he was at our campus and we were a satellite campus. And so this article that uh, she and I met up with him and we interviewed him and we, we really did our best to try to understand, okay, what was it that you did and why is it important or significant? And then try to translate that into something that people can understand. And the, the, the message here is we're a small school but we have like like legitimate professors who are doing real real stuff like real world stuff and i i know it's sort of like a soft sell but it helps to kind of bolster the brand of the inter, of the campus
0: overall yeah i hope that helps i hope that gives you a a little bit of advice and whether or not you do higher ed development or any development with other, you know, companies or, or, or purposes, you know, think about how news and PR and all of that volume you generate, you know, leads towards something and has a purpose, you know, in life and, and as a life cycle of content that, you know, you, you write it and you think about how does that, sell something how does that link to something how does that convert in a way that i can measure or or how does it directly improve your brand that you're presenting for your? yeah everything that you write news wise is important to the people that it focuses on and that's you know you, you can't get around that that is absolutely true but what is important to them is not necessarily important to everybody. So, you know, that curation component, that focus component, those are important to think about, you know, how do we get this in front of the right people and give it the right amount of importance? Yeah. We don't want to oversell, you know, or we don't want to be full of so much noise that people stop paying attention to us.
1: (laughs) Because they will add blindness. If you don't know what ad blindness is, read up on it.
0: Yeah. At any rate, I want to thank everybody for joining us this week on the Drunken UX podcast. I am your host, Strongbow Cherry Blossom. (laughs) No. Something about that wasn't right.
1: You are what you drink. I am
0: your host, Michael Feenan. (laughs) we're <laughs> co-host Aaron Hill <laughs> we look forward hey, hey, to Ron. talking to you in the next episode you done messed up Mikhail. <laughs> this episode of the drunken ux podcast is brought to you by GasMark 8 look web hosting is not sexy it's just something that's kind of there you pay every month to the big hosting company that secretly owns all of the smaller hosting companies and you get slow speeds, oversold servers, and terrible support. But the reality is, the couple extra seconds it takes for your website to load could mean lost customers or clients. Less customers equals less money. Where do you go if you want super fast, reliable, and affordable web hosting and you don't really want to babysit a Linux server 24-7? Gas Mark 8. Their hosting environment is built for speed and security. All SSD storage, check. Blazing fast WordPress, check. Free SSL certificates for all domains if you don't already have one, check. Data centers on both U.S. coasts, the U.K., and mainland Europe, yes, yes, yes. gasmark 8 was started by an American, Mike Rucholsky, and a Brit, Adam Palin. Two hired veterans who met at a conference and started a company making WordPress websites. As more clients complained about their web hosting, Mike and Adam thought over a couple of ciders at the pub that there's got to be a better way. So they built one, and now dozens of small businesses, developers, and nonprofits trust Gasmark8 with hosting their websites. If you run a web development or creative agency, Gasmark8 has a great reseller program you can use to upsell their fast and secure hosting to your clients. As a special for listeners of the Drunken UX podcast, Gasmark8 is offering this limited-time special. You can get all the features of their super fast platform for just $10 a month. Just go to gasmark8.com/drunk to sign up. That's gasmarkthenumber8.com slash drunk.
1: If you haven't already, be sure you check us out on Facebook and Twitter.com slash DrunkenUX or on Slack at DrunkenUX.com slash Slack. And if you really want to really engage with us and take it to the next level, you can hit Michael up at at on Twitter or me at at Aaron M Hill. We both talk about things that are not at all related to drinking or UX.
0: The the fun part is is that your name aside from the AAron is relatively easy to spell whereas there is not a human being on this planet who can spell my name unless I spell it for them. So, you just <laughs> good luck. Yeah, good luck. Uh, I do want to thank everybody again for listening. Uh, if you didn't catch part 1 of this episode, go back and check out episode 5. Um, Episode five, we talk about uh, just the general aspect of the challenges of website design for higher Mm -hmm. ed in particular um, and the backgrounds uh, that Aaron and I bring to that particular uh, venue. So that was a a good therapy episode. Uh, (laughs) We hope uh, this talk was was useful and provided you some context and some extra information. Be sure to join us for the next episode of the Droken UX podcast should be coming to you in give or take two weeks That is the normal schedule. In the meantime, if you haven't subscribed, be sure to click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app, whatever you might listen to us in. Tune in for real-time overview. That will be coming up on Wednesday. Again, assuming nothing, you you know, tornado doesn't hit or blow me away before we can get that done and edited. But that is certainly the goal. Thanks again. Have fun. Keep drinking and keep designing. Later.